Let's pray together. Now, Lord, we come before you with joy and with gratitude because we know that you are not a thief. You are not a thief or a robber. You are the true son of God, the Messiah, the one who leads us into life and life abundant. Um, may we taste of that life now as we hear from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I'd like to begin, uh, if we can today, um, with this poem uh, that we heard from Malcolm Geith this week, the poem that we have for this Sunday um, called The Door of the Sheepfold, where Jesus, or where Malcolm sort of gives us this beautifully imaginative way to see Jesus as the door. Uh, it begins by looking at a number of doors that Jesus is not, doors that are gently hung, doors that were planed by Jesus and Joseph in their shop, doors that closed in Mary's face as she de desperately searched for a place to give birth to Jesus. And then, once we've sort of explored some of these doors that, he, that Jesus is not, then Malcolm describes the door that Jesus is. It goes like this. Not one that's gently hinged or deftly hung. Not like the ones that you planed at Joseph's place. Not like the well-oiled openings that swung so easily for Pilate's practice pace. Not like the ones that closed in Mary's face from house to house in brimming Bethlehem. Not like the one that no man may assail that awaits your breaking in Jerusalem. Not one you made, but one you have become. Load-bearing, balancing, a weighted beam to bridge the gap, to bring us within reach of your high pasture. Calling us by name, you lay your body down across the breach, yourself the door that opens into home. The invitation of this poem is to see that Jesus is the door that leads us into home, the door that opens to the kingdom of God where we find freedom and salvation and life as Jesus describes it in John chapter 10. The point is to see that Jesus truly is the Messiah, the shepherd, the savior, the rescuer, the son of God. And that's what I think John 10 is also all about today. In order to properly understand our passage from John chapter 10, we have to go back a little bit and look at John chapter 9 and the context that we find there. And what we see in John chapter 9 is that Jesus heals a man who had been born blind. And the rest of the chapter, sort of in a nutshell, is essentially the, the, the Pharisees trying to find some way not to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Not to believe um, that Jesus is the Son of God. They put pressure on the man himself to try to find some way um, to say that Jesus is not who they think he might be. They call his parents as witnesses to try to discredit the man. They do everything that they can to willfully blind themselves to the truth of who Jesus is. And that's the poetic irony of John chapter 9. The man who is born blind is able to see that Jesus truly is the Messiah. Whereas the religious authorities, those who are supposed to be able to see, are willfully blinding themselves to the truth of who Jesus is. They're refusing to acknowledge that Jesus truly is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And so John 9 ends with the Pharisees asking Jesus, are we blind also? Are you saying that we are blind too? And in response to that question, essentially, Jesus tells the parable that we find at the beginning of John chapter 10, where he says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. 
but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Beautiful passage. Essentially what he's saying is that if you have eyes to see, if your eyes are open, and if you have ears to hear, if you're listening, then you will know that Jesus is not a thief or a robber. He's not a false messiah. He's not coming in by uh, the side. He's the shepherd of the sheep. He's coming in by the gate. He is the Messiah, the Holy One of God, the one that you have been waiting for. You can almost hear Isaiah 61 in the background. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Look at me, Jesus is saying. Look at the things that I have done. Listen to the words that I'm speaking, for I only do what I see my Father doing, and I only say what I hear my Father saying. Look at me. Listen to my words, and see that I am the anointed one of God, the holy one that you have been waiting for, the one who has been coming to lead God's people into the kingdom of God, the shepherd king that you've been waiting for. I am he. I am the Messiah. Look and see is essentially what Jesus is saying. That's both the invitation of the Pharisees in John chapter 10, but it's also the invitation to us as well. Look and see Jesus for who he truly is. Unfortunately, they don't get it. Verse 6 says that the figure of speech Jesus used with them this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus tried a slightly different angle. And he said, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I'm the Messiah. I've come to lead you into the kingdom of God. Everything that you've been longing for and waiting for, salvation. He will, he will be saved and will go in and out. You'll find salvation. You'll find freedom. You'll find real life. All of these things are found in and through Jesus. I am the door of the sheepfold. I am the Messiah. So if we go back to John 9, it ends with this interaction between Jesus and the Pharisees. This is verses 40 and 41. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said, So are we blind also? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But, you now, but now that you say we see, your guilt remains. And what I want to say is that everything that Jesus says in the opening verses of John chapter 10 is all about trying to remove that guilt from the Pharisees. Pleading with them to see that he truly is the Messiah, the Holy One of God, and to stop willfully blinding themselves to that truth. For it's that willful blindness that actually makes them guilty. And I think the invitation of this passage is the same for us. Is there anywhere that we are intentionally blinding ourselves to the truth of Jesus? Is there anywhere in our lives that we are knowingly turning away from his teaching and walking in our own ways? 
Is there anywhere that we are willfully disobeying his call on our lives? If so, the invitation is to turn, to turn from that willful disobedience and that chosen blindness, to turn to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the shepherd and the door, and receive the salvation and the freedom and the life that he has for us, to turn to him and receive all those things. Is there anywhere that you need to turn? Anywhere where you are willfully blinding yourself to the truth of who Jesus is and his call on your life? There's much uh, to this passage uh, that I could preach upon and, and um, share with you, but I think the thing that stood out to me most this week, um, what I found most moving about this passage, was verses 7 to 10, where Jesus speaks of himself as the door of the sheepfold. And what I kept thinking about this week was um, that metaphor of Jesus as the, the door of the sheepfold how it helps us see that Jesus is not merely a functional tool that gets us into heaven. He's not merely the doorway that gets us into salvation, freedom, and life, but he actually creates the conditions in which those things may be experienced, enjoyed, and lived out. And so what I was thinking about this week was, is my, this might be like a truly a pandemic uh, metaphor because I haven't gone to a restaurant in a very long time. I was thinking, like, imagine the best restaurant you could possibly imagine. The most amazing food that you could possibly think of. Three-star Michelin restaurant, the best wine, all of it. My mouth is starting to salivate a little bit. Picture all of that. This lovely ambiance. Now, you take that very same meal, this incredible meal, the best meal that you could possibly imagine, and you change the context. If I were to place that same meal, set it before you in a lion's den, I promise you that no, no matter how good that meal is, you will not enjoy it. Why? Because the context matters. The context and the condition in which we're able to receive good things matters. And that's what we see in John chapter 10, verses 7 to 10, it's not just that Jesus offers us salvation, freedom, and life. It's that by laying down his body as the door to the sheepfold, laying himself down in the entryway. Andre, if you don't mind, actually, you could put up the PowerPoint and you could just see the visual of the sheep pen with that opening in the middle. The shepherd would lay his body down in the middle to protect the sheep. I want you to hold that image in mind. Jesus actually creates the conditions in which we may experience life, freedom, salvation. By laying his body down as the doorway, Jesus enables us to experience the safety that comes from the rescue and salvation that he offers us. It's not just a, a, an idea or a concept. that We can actually experience safety. There are still wild beasts outside the sheepfold. There's still wolves. There's still lions and bears, as uh, David talked about. There's still threats and dangers that we have to deal with in our own life. There's still a thief that wants to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus lays his body down as the door in order for us to experience safety, to be at peace, to be at rest. It's only in that act 
of laying his body down that we can actually experience those things. He creates the conditions in which we may experience the safety that comes from God's saving rescue in our lives. By laying his body down, we're able to experience the freedom of the children of God. Jesus says that we can come and go and find pasture. We don't have to worry. We don't have to be in fear. We don't have to live with anxiety. Why? Because Jesus is with us. I think of Psalm 23, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. These weapons of protection and care to ward off anything that comes at me. You are with me. You have these tools at your disposal. You let me come and go, move in and out and find pasture. I have freedom in Jesus because he's the good shepherd and he lays down his body in the doorway. And by laying down his body in the doorway, we may experience life in all its fullness. We still, there's still challenges that we have to face in this life. But even in the midst of that, we can taste of his beauty. We can taste of his goodness. We can experience true joy, even in the midst of the challenges that we face. Because Jesus lays down his body in the door, he creates the conditions in which all these things may be experienced. They're not just ideas. That's essentially what I want to get across. Jesus gives us this image of himself lying down in the doorway. It's not just a theoretical concept. He doesn't just... Freedom is not just a theoretical concept. Life is not just a theoretical concept. Salvation is not just a theoretical concept. He creates the conditions in which they can be truly experienced, lived in, because he lays his body down in the doorway. He is the door of the sheepfold. I listened to a uh, podcast maybe a couple months ago, um, and it was with the Surgeon General of California, Nadine Burke-Harris, she was being interviewed, and she's also an expert in the field of, of the long-term effects of childhood trauma. And so she talked a lot about ACE scores, which I had never heard of before. Some of you, I'm sure, know them. Um, but ACE scores deal with adverse childhood experiences, ACEs, adverse childhood experiences, and they look at 10 different categories. They look at the category of abuse, so physical, emotional, or sexual abuse. Category of neglect, so physical or emotional neglect. Then they look at household dysfunction. So mental illness, an incarcerated relative, divorce, spousal abuse, substance abuse within the home. So these 10 categories, the, the long-term cumulative effect of what happens when you have these in your life as a child. And based upon these ACE scores, um, you know, you could sort of, you, you, people are able to then both predict what might happen in terms of like some, um, issues that you might deal with as time goes on, but then also hopefully how to sort of curb some of these things. So a couple of statistics that they talk about was that if a child has four or more ACEs, they're 30 times more likely to have learning and behavior problems, which then of course has all sorts of ripple effects. So that the more ACEs a child has, the greater likelihood of dealing with anxiety and depression and all the things that come with that. A national study in the United States showed that 20% of incarcerated youth had at least four ACEs. 96% of incarcerated youth had at least one ACE. There are physical effects as well because our bodies respond to the stress that happens over time. And so if you have four or more ACEs, that more than doubles your risk of heart disease. If you have six or more ACEs, your average life expectancy drops by 20 years. That is an enormous amount. 
There are lots of implications to all these things, but what it does show is that the conditions in which we live have a huge impact on our physical, emotional, mental health, and our ability to function well within a society. But I bring all this up because what I found most amazing about the interview was that she said that these ACEs are not necessarily determinative in a child's life. Meaning that just because a child has one or more adverse experiences does not mean that they will necessarily deal with all these things in the future. And here's the interesting thing. She said that the thing that directly counteracts an adverse childhood experience is the ability of the parent or the caregiver or the guardian to be a buffer in that child's life. Meaning that if a child experiences some level of trauma, so long as that child has a parent or guardian or caregiver who is able to make that child feel safe, protected, cared for, loved in the midst of that, then that adverse experience will not necessarily have the kind of long-term negative effects and impact, impact that it potentially could. I had that rolling around in the back of my mind because when I look at this passage, that's what I see as Jesus. I see him laying down his body as the door of the sheepfold. And this is what I see. I see him as the ultimate buffer in our lives. He is that healthy parent and caregiver, shielding us from the effects of trauma in our lives. Jesus never promises that he'll remove all the dangers and challenges that we face in this life. In fact, he says that they will come. But he lays down his body as the door of the sheepfold and acts as that buffer in our lives, creating the conditions in which even in the midst of difficult situations, we can still experience safety, freedom, and life in and through Jesus Christ. As you hear Jesus say, I am the door of the sheepfold today, I would invite you to see him laying down his body in the doorway of your lives, protecting us caring for us, shielding us, being that buffer that all of us need. And so in closing, I would simply ask you to consider the places that you need God's buffering presence in your life right now. Where do you need Jesus to lay down in the doorway of your life, shielding and protecting you? Where are you feeling stress? Where are you feeling tired? Where are you feeling weary? Where are you feeling pain? Where's there sadness these days? Where's there fear? Where's there joy that he needs to shield? Where is it that you need Jesus to come and lay down as a doorway, as that buffering presence in your life right now? I love to pray uh, Compline, um, the Compline service. And anybody who's prayed with me has probably heard me talk about this prayer before, but it's one of the prayers in Compline that I just find so moving. And it goes like this, keep watch, dear Lord, with those who work or watch or weep this night and give your angels charge over those who sleep. Tend the sick, Lord Christ, give rest to the weary, bless the dying, soothe the suffering, pity the afflicted, Shield the joyous, and all for your love's sake. Amen. I love praying that prayer 
because of all the different people it makes me think of and to pray for as a prayer of intercession. Anyone who's working while I have the comfort to be asleep. Anyone who's watching or waiting or hoping for something. Anyone who's weeping. Anyone who's sick or weary or dying or suffering or afflicted. Anyone who's joyous, I get to pray for them as well. I'll ask God to shield that joy because joy is a beautiful thing that God loves. I love to pray that prayer as an act of intercession, but what I was thinking about this week also is that maybe I could use that as a as sort of an inventory, a checklist in my own life to say, where am I working right now that I need God to just come and lay down in front of the shield and protect? Where am I weeping? Where am I sick? Where am I weary? Where am I suffering and afflicted? Where am I joyous that I want God to shield and protect? Where do I need Jesus to come and be that buffer in my life right now? I offer that to you as well, that this is both a prayer of intercession that we could pray for one another during this challenging time, but also used as a checklist, as an inventory in our own lives to see where we need Jesus to come and be the doorway. I am the door of the sheepfold. I will lay down and be that presence in your life, creating the conditions that you may experience safety, freedom, and life. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.